Father, would you come? Would you come and by your, by your Spirit enable us to hear this good news that death is dead because Jesus is alive. Thanks be to God. In Christ's name I pray. Amen. January 4th, 2014 started out like any other Saturday. I was running errands, grocery store, Walgreens, dry cleaners, and I got a phone call from Max, and I thought, well, this is strange. Max doesn't call me all that often. I wonder what's up. And he said, Jimmy, could you do me a favor? He said, I'm about an hour out of town. I've been camping with Ryan this weekend, and um, Diane, his wife, called and said that she is rushing Lydia, their 13-year-old daughter, to the ER at Children's Hospital in Plano. He said, could you just go be with her until I can get there? Sure, yes, I'll go right now. And uh, when I got there, um, Lydia, their 13-year-old daughter, who had been uh, struggling with flu all that week, was behind these frosted glass sliding doors and her mom Diane was sitting on a chair just outside the doors Diane saw me got up gave me a hug and and she said I I don't know what's happening this morning she started having trouble breathing her lips were turning purple once we got here to the ER uh, she went into crisis she couldn't breathe her whole color changed and they rushed her into this room we could hear the commotion inside, the tense voices. Uh, this was not good. Max arrived soon after that, and another family member showed up. And, and we huddled together outside of that room and just started praying. And I, I prayed, God, please, please, please rescue Lydia. Please heal her, God. You could do this. Not long after, uh, a doctor came out and led us all into a private family consult room. And she said, listen, we're doing all that we can. But we've already lost her three times and had to bring her back. She, she can't breathe. And then she goes into cardiac arrest. She said, we've got to get her stabilized so that we can get her downtown to Children's Hospital. There's a helicopter on the way. I've got to get back in there. So we went and back and gathered outside of those frosted glass sliding doors again. And soon the paramedics arrived to transport her by helicopter. And as the doors opened to let them in, I could see someone doing compressions on Lydia's chest. And we kept praying. And in my heart, I was begging God, please. Please, God, don't let Lydia die. You can do this. You can make her breathe. Don't do this to this sweet family, please. The doors opened again, and a nurse came running out to go get something. And This time, they left the doors cracked open a little bit. And I could see inside this obviously strong male nurse uh, was just doing compressions on her chest again, and 
It seemed violent to me. I'd never seen anything like that before. Pretty soon he gave up and one of the paramedics jumped in and started and kept going and kept going. Max and Diane were not looking. They were praying. And I watched him keep trying. It seemed like forever. And then finally he stopped ripped off his rubber gloves, threw them on the floor in disgust. Everyone backed away from the table. And then they called Max and Diane in. That mother and father just put their bodies on top of her broken body and just wailed. I've never heard anything like that before. In a little while, Diane motioned me to come in there. I did not want to go in there, but she wanted me in there. So I just came and I put my hands on Max and Diane as they continued to just weep over their little girl. 13 years old. Gone. If you're uncomfortable hearing me tell this story, it's okay, because I'm uncomfortable telling it. But this is what happens in us. Death somehow makes us recoil. We resist thinking about its reality and its finality. We don't want to face it, and if we're honest, we fear it. There was a book published in 1973 that won a Pulitzer Prize called The Denial of Death. And the author of that book described our fear of facing the reality and finality of death this way. He said, it is the rumble of panic that is underneath everything. I want to ask you this morning, do you feel that rumble of panic? You feel the rumble of panic that the reality and finality of death sends shivering through your soul. As I've thought this week about that, I've thought about all the ways that we, we try to silence and suppress that rumble of panic in our culture today. We make it socially un unacceptable to talk about death. Even in this sermon, there may be a few of you out there thinking, wow, pastor, happy Easter. Why be so morbid? Even the word morbid has become a, a pejorative term. We just, we just don't like talking about it. We tend to sanitize our language about death. Catherine Mennix is a palliative care doctor who's seen thousands of her patients die, and she said, she said this, notice how often you hear euphemisms like passed or passed away or lost in conversations and in the media. She asked, how can we talk about dying? How can we plan our care or support for those we love during dying if we're not prepared to name death? So we sanitize our language about death and then we try to separate ourselves from death. There's a best-selling book out there right now called being mortal 
And the author of that book uh, says that by the 1980s, only 17% of deaths occurred at home. He said across the industrialized world, the experience of advanced aging and death has shifted from home to hospitals and nursing homes. So we try to separate ourselves from it. And we try to slow death down from the, from the kind of socially acceptable, normal ways of aging cream, anti-aging creams and diets and exercise fads all the way to the extreme means that I read this week. There's a, a group of billionaires in Silicon Valley who are investing billions of dollars into trying to figure out how to slow the aging process and even stop it if they can. These are all signs that we as a culture feel that rumble of panic underneath everything. We try to suppress our thoughts and fears about death because, as one writer said, death is the unanswerable challenge to our happiness. Death means the end of everything that we love. And I feel this rumble of panic in my own chest. I was thinking back this week to 2015 when our family went and spent the last week of Christine's dad's life with him in his home as he lay there dying. I'm a pastor, and I had no clue what to do. I'm supposed to know these things, right? I didn't know what to do. I feel that rumble of panic in my chest even today. As some of you know, my brother Jeff, who's been homeless for a long time, has been missing for two years now. No one's heard from him. We can't find him. And so yesterday on the phone, my mom, my mom and I, I think, finally had the courage to express in words what we've been feeling in our hearts when we both, in one way or the other, said, as much as I hope, that we'll see him again? My fear is he's dead. And as Nathan mentioned earlier, even in our congregation this week, we are feeling the rumble of that panic underneath us as we lost one of Mountain Fellowship's founding fathers this week. When Jesus freed him from ALS and took him home. I know of three others in our congregation who have recently buried their mothers. This is why Isaiah said, as we read this morning, that death is a covering that is cast over all peoples. It's a veil that is spread out all over every nation. Death causes there to be tears on all faces. But there's actually more to this rumble of panic than just the reality and finality of death. There is actually something more horrible about death than its physical reality and finality. The Bible teaches that all of us are under the spiritual penalty of death. Paul hinted at this in our reading this morning in 1 Corinthians when he said, The sting of death is sin and the power of sin is the law. 
You see, the sting of death is more than physical. Death has a spiritual sting as well. And Paul says that the physical and spiritual sting of death comes from sin. The physical sting of death comes from sin. In Romans 5, Paul said, Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, Adam, and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sin. Physical death and the the decay that leads to it are a penalty for sin. But spiritual death is also a penalty for sin. The author of Hebrews said that it is appointed for man to die once physically. And after that comes judgment. There's something more that awaits us after our physical death. Jesus said in Matthew 16, For the Son of Man, speaking of himself, is going to come with his angels in the glory of his Father, and then he will repay each person according to what he has done. So each of us will be paid for what we have done. This explains what Romans 6.23 means when it says, For the wages, the payment of sin, is death. But the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. It's either eternal life or eternal death. And Jesus said in John 5, An hour is coming when all who are in the tombs will hear my voice and come out, some to the resurrection of life and some to the resurrection of judgment. So there is a physical sting to death. We will all die because of Adam's sin. And there is a spiritual sting to death. We will all be judged for our own sin. But Jesus made it clear that The spiritual penalty that awaits us after death is what we should fear even more. He said to his disciples, don't be afraid of those who can kill your body. I'll tell you who to fear. Fear the one who can kill your body and then cast your soul into hell. Him, I tell you, you should fear. So why all this talk about death and sin and judgment, Pastor? Isn't Easter supposed to be bright and happy and joyful? Isn't Easter about life? Yeah. We sang the answer to that question just a few minutes ago. I'm going to ask you to sing it with me again. Crown him the Lord of life. Sing with me. Who triumphed o'er the grave and rose victorious in the strife for those he came to save his glories now we sing who died and rose on high who died eternal life to bring and lives that death may die friends the message of easter is that jesus lives so that death may die. If we celebrate the empty tomb, apart from talking about the death of the tomb, then our celebration of Easter is empty. The sting of sin is death, yes. But, Paul says, but thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus experienced both the physical and spiritual penalty of death that we deserved 
Not for his sin, he had none, but for ours. And because Jesus died and was buried and then kicked open the gates of death, hell, and the grave from the inside out, you and I can live. You and I can live even though you and I deserve to die. And so we can shout with Paul as we read this morning, death is swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where is your victory? Death, where is your sting? Thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. So because Jesus is alive on the other side of death, hell, and the grave, because Jesus is alive on the other side of that death, hell, and grave that we fear, we can know two things. You can know this. If you trust the one who lives that death may die, you can face death's reality and finality and you no longer have to fear death's penalty. You can face death's reality and finality like Jesus did, and no one knows the reality of death better than the Lord of life. And yet, what did he do when he faced the reality of death? The death of his friend Lazarus. He came, and the Bible says that he was deeply moved. He was greatly troubled, and he wept. That deeply moved, that word has a, a, a tinge of indignation to it, of anger to it. Was he angry at Lazarus? Was he angry at Mary and Martha? Of course not. He was angry at death. He was angry at the sin that caused it. And he wept. He grieved. He was like that paramedic who threw his gloves down in disgust. That death had won. Jesus knew he was about to raise Lazarus from the dead. So why did he waste his time grieving? Let me tell you something. If the Lord of life. Who was about to raise Lazarus from the dead. Spent time grieving. You have permission to grieve. You have permission to grieve death. Disease. Decay. And the sin that breaks us and the ones you love. You can grieve death, and you can let others grieve. We don't have to shy away from the reality of death. And not only can we face the reality and finality of death, we no longer have to fear the penalty of death. Jesus said to Martha, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? He said to her. And she said, yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the son of God who is coming into the world. So Jesus is telling you this morning that if you believe him, if you put your trust in him as the only way that you can have life after you die, then even if you die physically, you will not die spiritually. You need not fear the reality and final finality of death because Jesus has saved you from the penalty that awaits you after death. And so I want to ask you this morning what Jesus asked Mary and Martha. Do you believe this? Do you believe, do you 
stake both your life now and your life after death on this promise of Jesus. I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet he shall live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe that? Even if you've said it and heard it for 40 years, do you believe it today? And can you imagine what it must have been like to be there when Jesus raised Lazarus? With his indignation, he said, take away the stone. Martha runs to him, Lord, Lord, wait, you don't understand. He's been dead four days. The stench will be awful. He looks at her with compassion and maybe a little bit of frustration and says, did you not hear what I said? That if you believe, you will see the glory of God. And he looks to the people, move that stone. And then welling up with compassion and some of that indignation, he says with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. And the people are, like you, a little worried. Um... And they're looking and they're watching and there's movement in the cave. And sure enough, here comes this mummified man wrapped in strips of cloth, stumbling his way out of the tomb. And Jesus, I imagine, with a smile says, unbind him and let him go. In Acts chapter 2, Peter, very, with very similar language, described the resurrection of Jesus. He said this, God raised Jesus up, loosing, that's the word, unbinding the pangs of death because it was not possible for him to be held by death anymore. So on that first Easter morning, almost 2,000 years ago, the Father and the Spirit said to death, hell, and the grave, Unbind him and let him go. On January 4th, 2014, when Lydia was struggling to breathe, Jesus said to the H1N1 flu virus, Unbind her and let her go. But even better than that, when Lydia was a little girl and she first trusted that Jesus had lived the life that she should have lived and died the death that she deserved to die, Jesus then said to the penalty of Lydia's sin, unbind her and let her go. Last Sunday morning, when Mike took his last breath, Jesus said to ALS, unbind him and let him go. He's mine. But better than that, Decades ago, when Mike first trusted that Jesus lived the life that he should have lived and that Jesus died the death that Mike deserved to die, Jesus said to Mike Herzog's penalty of sin, unbind him and let him go. And one day, friends, 
for all of those who have trusted the living Jesus as Lydia and Mike have. We, along with Lydia and Mike, have this promise. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable. And we shall be changed. For this perishable body, this dying body must put on the imperishable. This mortal body must put on immortality. And on that day, which is on the way, Jesus will say to Lydia's grave, unbind her and let her go. Jesus will say to Mike's grave, unbind him and let him go. Jesus will say to my grave, unbind him and let him go. And it is my prayer for you this morning that if you would trust the one who lives that death may die, if you would trust your whole life on him, that one day Jesus will say to your grave, unbind her and let her go. Unbind him and let him go. Death is swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? Thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Thanks be to God.